0: Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Mesa Christian Church. I'm really enjoying the conference myself. Like, uh, Ross and Mary Lynn have really been inspiring and it's just been really wonderful and great to catch up with so many great friends. And I've got friends here from... From many many years, and uh, it's, so it's like a bit of a family gathering for me. Uh, it's always good. Actually, my good friends uh, Tony and Joe Mold from Kingaroy, uh, we've been uh, went to Bible College together 20 years ago uh, at Southern Cross College, Chester Hill in Sydney, and uh, so great. Joe was actually my trek team leader. So uh, we would go on Trek teams around to regional churches around New South Wales and Joe would preach and that sort of thing. She's a phenomenal preacher, by the way. And uh, so it was, uh, that was really cool. And Tony, I remember God has used Tony in my life, actually, a number of times. I remember one time I was at Bible college and, you know, often when you go to Bible college, you run out of money. And um, I was, um, I went there by faith. I had no spare money for anything. I had to believe God for a dollar to get you know the coke out of the coke machine, and I actually had to believe God for my laundry, and uh, it cost. I remember two dollars four, two dollars eighty, I think, uh, to do a load of laundry and also to um, put it in the dryer. And um, I made, and I was believing God for that every week. And I remember that I had made a deal with God, and the deal with God was this: that you know, Lord, you've got to provide for me, and I'm coming here by faith. But if I have to hand wash a pair of underwear. <laughs> I'm out of here. And so, uh, and there were many times, you know, my laundry basket would be overflowing. I would be down in my last pair of jocks uh, and money would come in. And I remember one time, especially, never forget it, uh, I was down in my last pair of jocks and I thought, I've got to do a hand wash. And so I was taking my laundry basket down to the laundry, i am going to do a hand wash. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm doing a hand wash and then I'm getting on the bus going back home. And I started walking towards the laundry and as I did, I walked past Tony. And Tony looked at me, and he was a Calvinist back then, and so I was, <clears throat> and I was talking to Tony. I said, and Tony goes, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Oh, going to go do a hand wash of my jocks." He goes, Psh. "He goes, that's women's work," and so <laughs> that's when he was a Calvinist, okay? He was a complementarian, and so, and then, uh, and he goes, "That's and he goes, "That's pathetic," and he pulled out five bucks and gave it to me. Praise God. So. Uh, <laughs> he hates it when I say that story, <laughs> which is really cool. But so wonderful to be here. And uh, praise God if I could have someone protect me from Tony afterwards. <laughs> uh, that would be that would be awesome. Um, before I share, uh, I felt uh, the Holy Spirit speak to me about a couple of people. And um, pa- Pastor John Hague uh, from, from Gatton. Uh, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me uh, this morning that, in your church, you're going to see more supernatural activity, uh, and not paranormal, supernatural. Uh, and so, and what that means is, I felt you're going to see a greater level of signs and wonders in life. Of your church, especially deliverance and, and and inner healing, and I felt the Holy Spirit say that um, in the Lockyer Valley. Uh, there are a number of people there still got like a spirit of death and grief upon them from the 2011 floods that they're overcoming it and working through it but they still carry it and I heard the Holy Spirit say that there would be that there are people in your church with that you're going to see them uh, delivered and then there are going to be other people that come that are going to be set free from that spirit of grief that was still lingering upon them and it was been like a weeping wound in their life but God's going to heal it and turn that into a scar they're going to remember it but the pain from it is going to be gone it's going to be like It happened happen to another person and it's going to happen supernaturally. It's going to be a great testimony uh, to that region and that area. Um, uh, I I also felt uh, the Holy Spirit say that there were some people here and you've been not enjoying ministry. And the reason why you're not enjoying ministry is because you're doing it the way you think you have to and there's a way you want to do it, but you're thinking that if I do it the way I want to do it, we won't be successful. And you've seen a paradigm of ministry where you think, well, if I want to be successful, I have to do it that way, but that's not the way you are. And because you've been doing it that way, you haven't been enjoying it, because you've got a fear, if I run my ministry the way I want to do it, I'm not going to be successful. I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me today that God says that there is a market for your ministry, that if you be, just do it the way God has shown you to do it, you don't have to put on Saul's armor, you can use Use your little sling and use your little stone and God is going to give you the victory. And there's some people here saying, I'm doing it. You know, this is the way you're supposed to do it. I'm not enjoying this. I'm still not seeing any fruit. For the Holy Spirit say to me to release you today that you can be who God has called you to be. He's going to get you to win your way. There is a market for your ministry. There's people that's going to reach the way you want to reach them. So can I just ask you to close your eyes for a moment? And if you're here and you're saying, that is that is me, that's how I've been feeling. I've been trying to be something that I'm not because I think that's how you're supposed to be. If that is you right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm, that's how I've been feeling in my ministry. And I've been feeling like that I've got to be doing it a way uh, that I don't feel like I want to be doing it. But I feel that's the way we've got to do it. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now for those people that are feeling that way. And I pray, Lord, that you would set them free today and enable them to do, things, do it your way, to, to go with what you've put in their heart and I thank you for good success in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Praise God. Um, I um, have been uh, an itinerant traveling minister now. Uh, This is my sixth year full time. And I'm pretty, I I bump into itinerants all the time and that sort of thing. And I found out what the way it's worked with me has been pretty unique. And that is that I've been able to do it pretty well in Australia. Uh, And it's been like for six years uh, nonstop. Before that, for the six years before that, I was still doing three or four events a month uh, almost exclusively around Australia and to be honest uh, about 80% of the time has been in Queensland uh, and, so, and so the reason why I say that is because I was figuring out I thought I actually think I have spoken at more different uh, ministries in Queensland than actually anybody else uh, because for most of my year regularly there'd be at least 50-60 ministries and churches that I speak at in Queensland every single year and the beauty of it is you get to see the wide body of Christ I remember when I first went on the road I had a chat with Pastor Wayne Elcorn, and before he was a senior pastor at Hope Centre he was actually itinerant and he said to me he said Ben uh, when you go on the road he goes you're going to love the body of Christ you're going to love the church like never before and to be honest that's exactly what has happened Um, I get a little bit ticked when I hear people make broad sweeping statements about the church Uh, and I talk to them I say well how many have you been to uh, I think you've been to about three. You know? <laughs> I've been to hundreds, and what you're saying is actually not happening amongst the body of Christ. Some people get these little warped ideas, of what they think is happening in the body of Christ, but it's not actually happening. The reason why I say that is to try and build my credibility to actually say, I actually do think I know what's happening. <laughs> and so I, and one of the things people always ask me, they say, Well, what, what is God doing? What is God doing? And I'm like, Well, I don't know. You talk to him as much as I do. But the thing is, what I have noticed in my travels, and travel across different streams, different denominations, different philosophies of ministry and ways of doing things, what I have noticed is some common factors present amongst all the ones that I would consider thriving, flourishing, advancing, and moving forward. And so I want to briefly, before I get into my prophetic workshop, which we will do in in a few moments, before we do that, I really had it on my heart to actually share with you the things that I see are the common factors amongst the churches that I see that are moving forward and advancing. Now, this is purely subjective from my observation, okay? So it's not like I, I don't think I can 100% say this is what is always going on, but from what I see from the churches that I've been to and the ministries that I've seen, the common factors that I've seen amongst the ones that are advancing, moving forward, ter- taking that are healthy, taking territory for Jesus Christ. And so really... When I go to all these different flavours and all these different churches, the ones that are moving forward, I often see four, or will always see four common characteristics and common factors present in every single one of these churches, regardless of their philosophy, regardless of their demographic, regardless of their location, regardless of their theology. There are four common factors that I see present in churches that 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 in my experience, I believe, are moving forward and advancing. The first, common, the first common factor that I see amongst these churches is number one, they are all led by a strong and competent leader. That every single church that I see that is moving forward and advancing, they are led by someone at the top who is actually a leader that there's someone full of vision, that there's someone with, who has strong values. One of the things I've noticed amongst uh, people who are strong leaders is that their values are so strong that deep down they think everyone else is wrong. <laughs> <coughs> I read a book a number of years ago written by a man named Dr. Ian Jailgeman called The L Factor. And he said that basically one of the common traits of a leader is that they have strong values. And because they have strong values, they know what they like and they know what they don't like. And because of that, that's able to filter through the entire organization. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't even matter if the values are wrong. Just the fact that they have strong convictions actually means that they're advancing and moving forward. I preach at some churches and they've got a strong value that I actually disagree with. But the fact is, because they all believe it, they're all moving forward and the thing is advancing. Yeah. And it all emanates from the leader. Um, <clears throat> there's a, not one church in particular I preach at quite regularly. I'm very good friends with the pastors and very good friends with other staff members there. Uh, and they have a model of church, which we would call an attractional church model. So what that means is that they don't, they're a Pentecostal church, but they don't really function in the gifts of the Spirit on a Sunday. They don't want to do that. The Sunday is much more of a performance, more geared toward the seeker uh, and that sort of thing. And and I was talking to one of the campus pastors there, a very good friend of mine, and he was saying that, he, and he was saying, you know, well, and he just came out with this thought, this statement. And he said, well, you know, like because uh, we don't do gifts of the Spirit in the service because we don't want to put unsaved people off because unsaved people won't get saved in that. And I said to him, Oh, that's not true. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, well that's not actually true. Um, you know, now, it's good that you think that, that you're all in unity. I said, but the reality is that isn't actually true. I mean, the la- fastest growing church in Australian history is actually Planet Shakers Church in Melbourne. And they do gifts of the Spirit in the service. I remember a couple of years ago, I was having a coffee with the senior minister, Pastor Russell Evans, and he was telling me how he was cutting his sermons down so he could pray for more, pray for more people, see the gifts of the Spirit more in the service. But the fact was that it, regardless of the kind of philosophy that you have, the fact is that the leader is someone who actually has a strong idea of the values and the things that they want to see uh, come to pass. It's often led by a strong leader. That is why the greatest thing that can happen for your ministry is your personal health. How you go is very often how the ministry goes in the long term. I mean, when Moses, Moses had to sit up, on the, he had to stand up, you know, look, overlook in the valley, Joshua's fighting, and he had to keep his hands up. And if he didn't keep his hands up, then everybody else was losing. How he went determined determined whether that nation was actually going to win the victory. And in the same way, what I have seen and I have observed is that every time I have seen a church that is flourishing and moving forward, it is always led by someone who I would consider a strong leader. The second common factor uh, that I have seen amongst churches is that, that all the churches that I've seen that have been advancing moving forward They all have a culture of evangelism. They all have a culture of evangelism. Now the thing is this, it doesn't actually matter how you do it, as long as you do it. Now you could gear your Sunday service to the seeker and put on like a performance and make that kind of like an outreach thing. And if you do, people will get saved. But that's not the only way you have to do it. I remember I preached at one church in the north of Brisbane. It had only just started, and I've been going a few months and I remember when I preached there, I walked in and very, very occasionally I walk into a church and I'm like, this actually feels like revival. And this particular church I went and visited, it actually felt like revival. And I walked in there and it was unbelievable. Now the thing was this, it was really, really sloppy. I mean, they had the, um, they had, you know, the facilities were really, really ordinary uh, not only that they also had off in the uh they had all their ushers didn't really know what they were doing they weren't sticking to a run sheet the praise and worship band was really sloppy the culture was a little bit funny but and even in the service they would you know there'd be gifts of the spirit moving all the time and people would be falling over and they'd all, didn't always stick to time but they were growing and seeing people saved every week I remember looking at it and thinking, well, they're not really an attractional service. They're not really, well, they didn't have a VIP lounge. They didn't have any greeters to help out people who were coming to visit. And I thought, well, how are they seeing people saved? But they were doing that on Sunday. But during the week, they were doing street evangelism all the time. They were going over to Chermside Shopping Centre and they were bailing people up and they were praying for them and seeing them get healed and seeing them get saved. And they would get those people saved and bring them into church. The reality is it's not. it doesn't matter how you do it as long as you do it. I've heard some people say things in a derogatory way, saying things like, oh, well, you know, river churches don't grow. And they, and they you know, classify a river church as one where people get prayed for and gifts of the Spirit are done in a service. And people say, well, if you've got a river church, it won't grow. And it's like, no, 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 a river church will grow as long as they're doing evangelism as well. Yeah. The reason why some haven't grown is because they neglected evangelism and just thought God would bring people in. But the reality is it's not God's job to bring people in. It's actually our job. I love the story how in Acts chapter 10, the Bible says that there was a man named Cornelius and he was a God-fearer and he was praying and he, and he was praying and, and when he was praying, an angel came and visited him, the angel, uh, the angel Gabriel. And I remember thinking to myself, that's not fair. How come he got an angel? I said, I've never seen an angel before. Well, I did once and then I married her. But other than that... <coughs> <laughs> But other than that, I've never seen an angel. But then the angel said to him, you know, I've come here, you know, because of your giving and because of your prayer. uh, God has sent me here and I've got a message for you. Now I'm thinking if the angel comes, he's got a phenomenal, this is going to be unbelievable. I mean, God's sending an angel to me with a message. So I'd be sitting there with bated breath waiting for it. And the angel says to him, go and get Peter. I remember thinking to myself, well, what a waste of time. What a poor use of human resource management. I would have thought that the angel could actually tell, give the word. Why does he have to go and get Peter? So he went and got Peter. Peter came back and Peter found it, realized that they didn't had, that he was not a Christian. So he preached the gospel to him, got saved and got baptized with the Holy Spirit. I remember thinking, well, surely an angel could have done that. But then I realized, oh, no, he couldn't. It's not an angel's job to preach the gospel it's a man's. <laughs> and what could happen is that we can get hungry for God, fired up for him. But if we neglect evangelism, then things stop flowing. So what I found is this, one of the common factors is evangelism. The third common factor uh, that I've seen amongst churches that I believe are thriving and flourishing is number three, leadership development. Leadership development. So always some kind of leadership development process or system. In fact, a number of churches I know that, I've, that I feel like are advancing and moving forward are the ones that actually have internship programs or an association with a local Bible college. I mean, this is like answering Jesus' prayer in the beginning. He said, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. And we need to pray for more workers and we need to train up more workers. I mean, that's what Jesus did with the disciples. He told them ahead of time what he was doing if they followed him. He said, if you come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And I've seen and observed that the ones that, in fact, there's a number of churches I preach at that literally they've got everything right. They've got a fantastic service. They've got great leadership. They've got all these sort of things. But they don't have some kind of leadership development program. And because of that, they never have enough people to be able to run the things that they want to do. And if you've got more people, then you're able to do more things. And if you've got more people, you're able to reach out more. Very often, the leadership development is the thing that is missing. And so l- amongst all the ones that I see that are moving, uh, that are uh, able to advance, enlarge, and take more territory for the kingdom of God, every single one of them have some kind of leadership development, internal leadership development, program and that is not just uh, that is not just training up pastors but that's actually uh, releasing and gaining more volunteers having having their um, you know uh, high school students who are graduating have them come and give God a year and those guys can help run programs and that sort of thing all that sort of stuff every church that I've seen that is moving forward in that way have some kind of leadership development program and the fourth thing that I've seen the fourth common factor that I've seen amongst churches that are advancing is that every single one of them have a healthy self-esteem. They think they are awesome. Now you think, I'll be honest with you, there's some churches I've been at, they're almost nauseating because they just think they're the best. And here's the thing, because they think that, they are. (laughs) All you've got to do is a study of Ephesians to realise the theology of that. You know, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul as a call-to-arms letter. So what that means is he wrote it in the, same, uh, in the same structure as the Romans would write a letter when they're communicating to their people that they're going to go to war. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says at the end, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He is basically getting God's people prepared for war and to advance and to move forward the kingdom of God. God has called his kingdom to advance. He hasn't called us to sit in a corner singing kumbaya waiting for Jesus to return. He's actually called us to advance and take more territory for the kingdom of God. And so what that means is every element of Ephesians is necessary for an advancing kingdom, an advancing life, an advancing church. Every element of every topic he covers, we need to have in our culture if we're going to be moving forward. And you know what he spends the first three chapters in the book talking about? Our identity in Christ. So what that means is if you don't know who you are, you can't move the kingdom forward. I meet a lot of people who think God is awesome, but they think they're a worm. They don't do anything. But when you get a revelation of how awesome you are, and what God wants to do in your life, who you are, what you carry, you'll be amazed at what happens, that you start moving forward. Uh, one of my old mentors is a man by the name of Dr. David Parker. And he um, and he's a, probably the foremost New Testament scholar in you know in our movement in Australia. And um, his son uh, is a, a young man by the name of Phil. And, um, and we knew Phil at Bible College. Phil's a lot younger than I am. Uh, and uh, Phil actually ended up um, doing a PhD. Now, I don't... And so I call him Dr. Phil. Uh, now, I don't know... I don't know. I can't explain properly the PhD that he's got. It's some funny name. But basically, it's the science behind the formulation of surveys. Um, and, so, and so for, for his thesis... He actually had to—he had to do some, you know, you know, this study um, for his thesis, and he did a study of all uh, of churches all across Australia. And in the study, he said there was one common denominator amongst all of them, and the common denominator was this: the people in those churches had the highest self-esteem. That every single one of them, that in their churches, they thought they were awesome. They thought they were fantastic. That is why one of the greatest things that you can do for even for the life of your church is do things that get wins on the board for your local church, where people just have a pride in it, where they just think we are just the best. We are just fantastic. One of the greatest things that Extreme Youth Conference did for my youth group in Mackay is they just start thought, started thinking they were awesome. Because there's people from Brisbane and Cairns and towns were coming to Little Old Mackay for a conference. And they just started thinking they were really cool. They were actually getting a little bit nauseating and full of themselves. But it helped us move our ministry forward. Does that make sense? All those things are common factors. Why am I saying this? Because I believe that for some people here, like I said to you before, you can be who God has called you to be. That the churches that I've seen, there hasn't been a common method. There hasn't been a common style. There's some that might be like a cell church and some that might be attractional. There's some that might be any other kind of way. But as long as they're led by great leaders with strong values who know what they're wanting to do, they've got leadership development, they've got evangelism, and they're able to build a healthier self-esteem into the life of their church, then that is the thing that has moved them forward. And I want to encourage you and release some people today to let you know you can be who God has called you to be. Amen? Praise God. <laughs> so with that said, I actually want to shift gears now. And um, if you've got your Bibles, turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. It says this. Um, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Uh, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. I want to talk to you now about prophecy, and I know that um, Pastor Ross last year talked about this and but he's invited me to to add my little my little um thoughts on this as well. And basically, prophecy is one of the spiritual gifts. Now, prophecy is essentially God speaking through one person to somebody else. that That's what he does. He's speaking through someone to someone else. Now, notice this. All believers can prophesy if they desire it. But it doesn't mean that they're a prophet. The term prophet actually changes and flips in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the few people that could hear from God were considered prophets. But in the New Testament, it changes. Uh, Through Christ and through His Holy Spirit, we can actually all hear from God. We don't need an intermediary to forever be speaking to us on behalf of God. But the role of prophet actually changes right now. And the role of a prophet is now an office. An office. It's the office of a prophet. So what that means is that if you prophesy, that doesn't make you a prophet. Um, And some people don't understand that. They think, oh, well, I can prophesy now. That makes me a prophet. No, no, no. The gift of prophecy is actually different from the office of a prophet. You can desire the gift of prophecy, but the office of a prophet is a calling. It's something that God places upon you and calls you out to. But actually, so you, you, you you can, I guess you could desire to be a prophet, but that doesn't guarantee you'll be one. But the Bible here says if you can actually desire the gift of prophecy and you can start moving in that gift. So maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I've never actually prophesied over anyone before. Guess what? You can. If you have the starting point of desiring it, well, eventually that thing can come to pass. That's what the scripture says. Oh, well, I don't have the gift of prophecy. You've got that gift. But it says here very clearly, you can actually desire the gift of prophecy. Now, what are the benefits of prophecy? Well, it actually says that there in verse 3 of uh, 1 Corinthians 14, and it says it speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So the role of prophecy is actually to build up. The Old Testament prophet would den- den- denounce curses and, you know, and pull down. But the gift of prophecy, the New Testament gift of prophecy, is for the building up, the exhortation, the edification, and for the comfort, uh, comfort of men. And so that is one of the great boundaries that we need to have when it comes to prophecy. Prophecies can be actually a confirmation. What that means is that prophecy can be a confirmation of something that is in your heart. Have you ever had something in your heart and you were thinking, that's what I want to do, this thing, and then you've been prophesied over by someone, and essentially that's confirmed what's been in your heart? then that's like a sign from the Lord. It gives you faith. You realise, yes, that I'm going to go and step out in that. That's happened to me a number of times before. There's something I've been thinking of doing and someone's given me a prophecy and it's lined up with something that was already in my heart. Now, I do know that there is one school of thought that actually says that that's the only you know, role of prophecy, that it's a confirmation of something that's already in there. But that's actually not true. There are actually times when you can receive a prophecy that may not make sense right now. But it makes actually sense later. I was talking to uh, Ross on the way here in the car this morning, and and uh, about five years ago, I was speaking at a conference uh, with Pastor Jackie Hall, uh, Tim Hall's uh, Tim Hall's wife, and and um, and in one of the breaks, she came up to me, and she said, "Have you got a problem with your hip?" And I said, "No," and she goes, "Oh, because I felt God say He's going to heal your hips," and I said, "Thank you very much, praise the Lord," and <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. It was about five years ago. Last year, I was getting all these problems with my back and my knee. I had one period there that for two weeks I could hardly walk because I strained my back. And then I had this other issue that whenever I would go for a run, my right knee would blow up. So I went and saw the physio. And the physio said to me, he goes, well, oh, no, I had a couple of things happen. The first thing was I went to the physio and I said, I've got a problem with my knee. And he goes, well, the reason why you've got a problem with your knee is because you've got a problem with your hip. And he said, so we have to release your hip in order for your knee to start feeling better. And so he started doing some things. I was in complete agony. He was rubbing me down and that sort of thing. But he started loosening my hip because the problem with my knee uh, actually had to do with my hip. Not only that, I was having these back problems. I remember, and especially when I was flying. I remember one time I flew to country Victoria and I had to fly Take two flights: at the flight from Brisbane to Sydney, and then from Sydney to Albury. And when I got off the plane, I was as stiff as anything. And so I was walking down through a country town uh, named Beechworth in Victoria. And I'm walking down. I remember thinking to myself, "Gee, I'd love a massage right now." And I was walking down. And I saw this sign. It said "massage," pointing over there. And I thought, "Praise the Lord! You know, you you know wants me to have a massage." So I went over, and there was this guy in there. And I said, "I." Oh, can I have a massage now? He said, no worries. I went in there, started massaging. He goes, mate, you're stiff. I said, I know I'm always like this when I get off planes. He goes, can I show you a couple of stretches? I said, sure, whatever. He showed me these couple of stretches. It was to lo- loosen up my hip flexors. Instantly, I felt soreness and pain leaving my body. And I started filling a million bucks. And so then earlier this year, I bought another book called uh, Unlocking Your Hip Flexors. And so, I've, as I've sorted out my hips, everything else with my back and my knee and all that sort of thing has completely dissolved and I'm feeling a I'm lot more flexible than I was and I'm in not the pain and I don't get sore on planes and that sort of thing. Jackie Hall told me about that five years ago. <laughs> and I thought she was crazy. <laughs> but she was right. Does that make sense? So it's not just a Confirmation. Sometimes someone will give you a prophecy and you think, well, I have no idea what that means. Instead of arrogantly discarding it, the Bible says we don't treat prophecies with contempt. We hold on to those things. I've learned that many times. I remember one time I was going to preach at this camp and there was this a young lady who used to pray for me on a, like an intercessory team and they'd send in prophecies and that. And she sent me in this prophecy regarding my camp. And I remember looking at that and thinking, that has got nothing to do with my camp. What has it got to do? This was in 2008. But instead of discarding it, I filed it. And I've got a file of prophecies. I occasionally look at them. And then <clears throat> literally now, 2016, 17, the things she is talking about is actually the very thing I need for right now. Oh, yeah. It didn't make sense at the time, wow. but it's been making sense later. And so prophecy uh, can work in our life like that. Prophecy also um, is, like, is, is a weapon God gives us for warfare. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, of uh, verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, says this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Yeah. So he's saying to Timothy, you've got to wage warfare with prophecies. Why is that? Well, because who knows that sometimes when you receive a prophecy, the exact opposite happens. <laughs> the word that's been sown into us gets challenged. And so what happens? We get discouraged. We get into unbelief. How do we beat that back? We pull out that prophecy, and we start declaring it, and beat back the negativity. How often does God give you a word just before you need it? He tells you something, and someone prophesies, and you think to yourself, "What has that got to do with anything?" And then you remember, "Oh, that's what that had. That's what that had to do with that." I remember I was at Bible college, and we we're over at the, um, uh, uh, we were putting the dishes in, and the the the, the girl behind the. You know I think was taking the dishes and putting them in the dishwashing machine and it was you know she was on duty and this young lady named Alicia, you guys would know her and and she she was her hero was Catherine Corman, okay, so she kind of used to try and pretend she was like Catherine Corman and you know be exaggerated and that sort of thing and 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 I hand over to her and she looks at me and she goes <coughs> and I said what she goes, you know don't you don't have to listen uh when people uh you know, put you down or anything like that. I'm like, thanks Alicia, all right. <coughs> I walked out, I walked around to the library and there was this guy there, he was a bit crazy. He comes up to a big tall guy, he goes, hey Ben, uh, have you ever felt like a hypocrite? And I'm looking at him like, what are you talking about? And I thought, and because I was so sensitive, I was like, oh, maybe I am a hypocrite. And, and he's kind of indicating to me that I was a hypocrite. And then I thought, Ah, that's what Alicia was talking about. <laughs> Does that make sense? Sometimes we receive. Sometimes we think we're so in control of everything, and if it doesn't make sense to us now, it doesn't matter for us. No, no, no. Don't treat them with contempt. Don't despise them. They're a blessing for us. And there are times when we're given those things before we actually need them. Um, here are some keys to moving in the in the prophetic. Uh, number one, as I've said before, desire it. Desire. If you don't want it, you don't get it. You know, if God wants me to prophesy, He'll make me. No, no, no. If you want to, yeah. He will. So it's that desire. I think one of the main things, really, about these couple of days is that just that desire is being stirred up from people yeah. saying, I'd love to keep, you know, well, I used to do that all the time. I forgot about doing that. I've been caught up in all these other things. And God is stirring up that desire. You can actually desire to prophesy. The second thing uh, that we need to Um, the the second thing that will help us in moving in prophecy is have a go you know desire it and then have a go that's kind of how it works you know the bible doesn't talk about a systematic schedule of how you're supposed to prophesy of how you do it of how you hear from god he just says desire it do it and then what happens is over time you start learning how you hear from god more i mean jesus said my sheep know my voice he doesn't tell us how it's going to happen it just happens over time I'll get a phone call and on the other end it's like Ben is that you and I know it's dad I don't need to try and figure out you know scientifically how it happened I just know and in the same way when you have a desire and then when you start having a go you'll be amazed at what happened I remember one time when I was a youth pastor I was in my office and there was a young man I don't know if you know him. his name's Cameron Murison he's now worship pastor for Calvary at um, and he was like in year nine or something and came into my office we're doing a mentoring session and I said oh we're going to learn how to prophesy camp and uh and so I prayed for him and I prophesied over him for about five minutes and then afterwards I said to him I said okay Cam, your turn to pray for me and he was a bit lethargic he goes oh I said I said you pray for me so I closed my eyes he put his hand on my shoulder and he just started praying in tongues for about five minutes and I remember thinking to myself if we just get on with it already just say something <laughs> <coughs> And I could tell he thought that he wasn't hearing anything from God. And then he sighed. He goes, oh, God, I just pray for Pastor Ben. I just ask and pray that you give him dreams and visions. Amen. And he stopped and looked up and he thought, that's the best I got. He did not know that before he walked in my office, I was looking at my computer. I said, Lord, I just pray that you give me dreams and visions. (laughs) He had no idea. He just had a go. Have a go. I told him straight away. He couldn't believe it. If you just have a go, you'll be amazed. Your gift gets sharpened. You know, like Old Testament prophets used to get stoned when they're wrong. But we're not prophets. It's just the gift of prophecy. Okay, now David McCracken and them, they've got to be careful. But us, (laughs) right? So if you've got the gift of prophecy, just have a crack. I was, I, I, I had the privilege of preaching at this conference earlier this year in Sri Lanka and um, one of the other speakers, I'd never heard of this man before but he was a big deal and I, I can't pronounce his name um, but he's from Singapore, Pastor Yong and um, and he runs the largest conference in Singapore, it's called Kingdom Invasion Conference and so I was having dinner with him and he was talking about he'd just had their conference and they'd had a speaker by the name of Sean Bolts there. And Sean Boltz is this prophetic voice rising up uh, in the United States. And he said Sean Boltz was incredible. Sean Bolts would call people up and it's, and then numbers would come in his mind. And he'd say, he goes, does this number mean anything to you? And people are like, yeah, that's my social security number. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, do-do-do-do-do. But if you know a little bit about his story, he didn't start off like that. He'd be around and he'd... Think you'd get a word of knowledge for someone, he'd say, hey, um, is your name Kev? No, Steve. Oh, sorry. And uh, <laughs> try to step out. You've got to have a go. Don't be afraid. And as long as it's within the confines of exhortation and encouragement and comfort, you might even say some of the most generic prayers that might actually be the very thing that they need, don't be afraid to have a go. The next thing... Uh, That helps is, um, and here are some things that help have helped me. Now, I'm not saying this should be your way, okay? But here are some things that have helped me to discern whether what I'm hearing is from God or not. Okay, just to discern it, all right? Um, A couple of things, and Paul Gilling taught me this one. Um, If a thought is smarter than you would normally think or nicer than you normally think, it's probably God. (laughs) (laughs) I was at a conference last year in New Zealand. It's called Manifest Presence Conference. And one of the preachers was a prophet by the name of Michael Maiden. And a very accurate prophet. And he said, he goes, you know, I've prophesied over thousands of people. I've never actually had God say, I hate this person. (laughs) It's always been something that is always nicer than you would normally think. or Something uplifting or encouraging or exhorting uh, towards them. Sometimes if a thought is left field. That it just comes in from left field and you weren't concentrating on it. It's not something you set a desire on. It comes in from left field. Sometimes uh, that is from God. For me, this one's probably the biggest one. If a scripture comes to my mind. So often for me, if a scripture comes to my mind. For me, to be perfectly honest, the scripture is often, in my experience, for me, has been probably the most foolproof method. That that even in my personal hearing from God, if, if I get a Rema word and a lightning of a scripture, so often that's been the thing. And very often I'll pray for people. And um and you know, when we get people up and pray for them, I haven't I've probably got a word already for about two of them. But then when you start praying for them, often a scripture would come to my mind. And then I'd start staying that scripture and then start unpacking it as we're going along. I find often a scripture is one of those things. That's why it's good to read your Bible. Amen. Um, another one. That has happened to me before, is if an unusual phrase keeps repeating in my head. Um, like, like before, I had a prophecy for people and I felt the Holy Spirit say, there's a market for your ministry. That is so left field for me that it's a phrase I've never heard and never ever said. And it just came into me. I thought, I think that might be God. Uh, and so for me, that's why I felt that was from God. Um, another one is if there's a confirmation. That sometimes you get some kind of word and there's some kind of confirmation a classic example is uh when i was a youth uh, when i was a pastor in mackay one of the assistant pastors was a man by the name of uh, pastor rick ashcroft and he had a real passion to see healing and there was this lady in the church she was will wheelchair bound and they were just doing a generic altar call, praying for people and she came up the front and so as he's walking to her he felt the holy spirit say i'm going to heal her she's not going to use her wheelchair anymore and he's like i do not have the faith for that lord <laughs> And he said to himself, if she reaches her hands up to me like she wants to get out, I'll take it as a sign. So he walks over to her, she reaches her hands up to him, and he thought, it's a sign. And he pulled her out, and she never used the wheelchair again. Amen? But it was a confirmation. I remember one time I had a dream about a classmate of mine at Bible college, and it wasn't a derogatory word anything but in some ways it was a little word of warning you know and I was like man I don't want to say that you know I don't want him to take it the wrong way and then as I was thinking that he was at another part of the building but he actually came up and walked straight past my door and I thought oh, I'm gonna have to share it with him and it wasn't and as I said it wasn't a demeaning derogatory thing but it was like you know you got two options and that sort of thing and, and it seemed to be the very thing that he needed but I needed some kind of confirmation if I was going to say, if I was going to say that, another time way you can tell if God is speaking to you is sometimes through unusual coincidences. Unusual coincidences. As I said, these are not all foolproof methods, but these are some things that could act as like a little filter to help you to discern. Uh, I'm from Melbourne, and so whenever I would go back to Melbourne, I'd hardly bump into anybody I knew. And so I remember one time I went back to Melbourne. I was in a, my local shopping centre um, at Eastland in Ringwood. And as I was uh, walking around the shopping centre, I got a phone call from a girl that used to be in my youth group but lived in Melbourne. And she goes, oh, you were just on my heart. And I, thought, and I was talking to her and I thought, oh, that was nice. That was a bit unusual. Stopped. I walk around the corner and then I saw another girl who used to be in the church I was in when I lived in Melbourne. And I talked to her, had a chat, and I thought, man, that's a bit strange. I never see anybody when I'm in Melbourne. I walked out the other side of the store of Myers and then I hear this, Ben, what are you doing here? I turn around. It was a cousin of mine. And she said, I was praying that I would see you today. And I said, that is weird. So I had a little chat to her, didn't think anything of it. Well, I'm starting to think a little bit more of it. I go through I go through Maya to the other side of Maya. I go out, I'm near this key cutting place. As I'm near the key cutting place, I hear this, what are you doing here? I turn around, it's Russell Evans. And so from Planet Shakers, and so I had a quick chat and I thought to myself, now this is strange. And then I just thought to myself, if I see Henry Sealy from Planet Shakers, I'll take it as a sign this is from God. Because, you know, I wasn't big in coincidences and that sort of thing. I walk into Maya, I hear this, what are you doing here? I turn around, it's Henry Sealy. And I'm thinking to myself, and so I'm, I guess this is a lesson in discernment. I'm thinking to myself, God is saying something. Yep, I'm getting to it now. So... <laughs> I'm going, God is saying something to me. Now, my natural reaction is to read into it. Yeah. Oh, maybe God's called me back to Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> right? And how often do people get something wrong? They hear right from God, but they add to it. Yeah. And I thought, nah, no, nah, I'm just going to hold on to this. This doesn't make sense yet. The revelation is going to come later on. And then eventually, over time, God added to it that within about a year or two, because this then started happening to me all around Australia. There weren't too many shopping centres that I would go to where I wouldn't bump into pastors from that region. It's absolutely incredible where that happens all around, and especially around Queensland. And God spoke to me one day. Clearly, he put the whole thing together. And he said to me, you can tell when I've given you a region because you'll keep bumping into the pastors from that region. And that's, so that's how I know. when. So the nature of my ministry is God gives me territories. Look, I've preached at most of your churches. Right. God gives me a territory and I know he's done it because I bump into people from there. But if I could have misinterpreted that before, if I stepped in too soon to it. So God can be speaking to you, but you just got to hold it and say, I'm not sure. Bible says in Proverbs, don't add to his words lest he make you a liar. And I thought I've just got to hold on to this. I know I'm not being super spiritual or spooky, but that is not normal. What happened to me there? God is saying something, I don't know what it is yet, and sometimes it takes time, but boom, then it makes sense later on. Okay, That's why too, as an aside, I've got lots of prophecies over my life and what I need to be careful is I don't try and piece them together. I don't try and form some some kind of sense out of them. God will start bringing those things back to me to remind me, oh, this is what that actually means. Then um, another thing that can happen is you can get a picture. You can get a picture of someone. That sort of thing. That could be a sign. Uh, that could be, a, you know, a, a way, a sign that you're um, hearing from God. Um, I told you, talked to you last night about how to get people receiving from God, especially when you pray for them and that sort of thing. One thing I didn't add: if you're ever in a meeting like last night, now last night didn't need to do it, but often you'll be in a meeting and you want to pray for people, and and sometimes it takes a while for them to get going, open to receive. And so I learnt this off Tim Hall. What you got to do is you have got to move with the cloud. So what that means is move with the people that God's already touching. Don't pick the most hardest, resistant person in the room. (laughs) Pull them out the front and pray for them, and they're looking at you like this. (laughs) Because faith in the room goes... (laughs) So what you do is you see, you know, you were talking about seeing faith. You can see who God is touching. You call them out. You pray for them. They've already been receiving from God. One touch from you could just, like, send them over. Everyone else is like, whoa, and then they get into it. And then you start moving moving that way that's the same with the baptism of the Holy Spirit you pray for people with the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you get people all up the front of the line and you start praying for someone and everyone's looking at you and you're spending 20 minutes there faith for it just goes like this so work with whoever God is already moving on okay here yep 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 uh, it could be it could be, because sometimes people are reaching out, but they're so intense, they're not knowing how to receive. But but yes, if I see God is already touching someone, I go to them first. Yeah, that's I always do that, without a doubt. A um, couple of boundaries. Oh yeah, we've got plenty of time, awesome. Uh, boundaries, okay? Boundaries to the, uh, to the use of the gift of prophecy, okay? Uh, Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Uh, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Here's a couple of things, couple of boundaries. Number one, don't use your prophecy to manipulate. Don't ever use your prophecy to get what you want done in someone else's life. That's where we need to guard our hearts. I remember one time I got a phone call when I was a campus pastor. I had a phone call from one of the guys in our church. And he rang me and said, Pastor Ben, can I see you? I said, sure, mate. And we caught up. And he goes, I was just visiting my family, my wife's family in far north Queensland. I said, oh, yeah. And he goes, and when I was there, the pastor of the local church came over to their house. I said, "Great." What happened? He goes, "Well, he prophesied over me." I said, "Okay." What did he say? He said, "I had to move from Brisbane, come up and join his church." And he goes, "Well, I want to talk to my I want to talk to my pastor back home about that." And the pastor said, "I will not let another man judge my prophecy." Well, that contravenes a number of things here. When we prophesy, we submit it. We're not trying to force it. We're not trying to make it happen. Don't try and interpret the prophecy for somebody. One of the biggest lessons I have learned is I've had a prophecy for someone and I think, man, I know what this means. And then I talk to them later and they said, oh, man, that was God. That means this. And I'm like, that is nothing like what I thought it was. <laughs> and I was like, I thank God I didn't give what I thought it actually meant. The Bible says we prophesy in part. We don't see, we don't see the whole picture for someone else's life. That's for them to sort out. We give that prophecy and then it's up to them to figure out. I remember when I was at Bible college, I had a, a, a lady and, and, you know, she, she didn't have any interest in me. She was a friend of mine. But she, I, I just felt she used the gift of prophecy out of order. And, and, and she prophesied over me once and she said, Ben, I, I have this picture of you. And, and she said, I see you walking through a garden and there's all these lovely flowers and you could pick any one you want. But, but there, is a, um, there is a tree that God has for you, a tree of integrity that he's got for you. And as soon as she said that, I thought to myself, ministry. I was about to finish Bible college and I didn't know what I was going to do. And in the end, that was so true because I got about eight or nine opportunities to minister. And the one that looked the least attractive was the one that I took, but it was by far the best, the one in Maccoy. But then she said this, I see this and she goes, and it means this. And she said, because apparently a couple of girls at school liked me. Okay, and she said, and it means that you're not supposed to go out with the girl you're going out with, (coughs) which was Trish. And I said, no, 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 that that ain't right. And they wouldn't let it go. and became a bit of an issue. If she hadn't just stopped it, right, but she thought she could see all of it. You can't see all of it. Just hold on. Uh, the other week I, was, I did a prophetic workshop at a church and one of the young guys came up and goes, Pastor Ben, can I pray for you? I said, sure mate, come pray for me. He prayed for me and he goes, and he goes, and he, he gave me this picture and he stopped and he thought he needed to say, He goes, you know what, that's all I see. And I was like, good answer. Because I actually know what it means. <laughs> Does that make sense? Don't step over. I, I actually reckon, unless you're Isaiah, um, really long prophecies aren't always from God. Amen? Um, Understand that prophecies are not infallible. When we give a prophecy, we could possibly be wrong. Okay? When someone gives us a prophecy, it could possibly be wrong. Okay? So it's the word of God's infallible, but spiritual gifts are not infallible. That doesn't mean we chuck them out, but we need to have wisdom and maturity to deal with it. Um, As I said before, realize that you prophesy in part. Never prophesy anything that contravenes Scripture. Um, I remember David Cartledge telling me this, that, well, telling us at Bible College. He said that he went to a church once and they elevated prophecy to the level of the Word of God. And he said, he was talking to the pastor, and he said, well, so if someone gives you a prophecy, a directive prophecy, and you don't want to do it, what do you do? He goes, well, I do it. And I was like, and he was like, man, that is so dangerous that prophecies are not infallible. And so we should never prophesy anything unscriptural. Uh, God has told me that because we're low on tithes this week, uh, you need to go and knock over the ANZ bank. (laughs) 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 Yes, pastor! (laughs) Uh, If you're a... Another thing is if you're a... We need to be careful about prophecies correction. Uh, We need to be careful about prophecies of correcting people. When we correct people, right, we base it on evidence, not what our spirit tells us. Because it's unjust to correct people who we haven't observed do anything wrong. Has anyone here had a correction from someone, a judgment that was not observational? I just feel in my spirit that you got a Jezebel. I was like, well, how do you deal with that? Like, that's unjust, right? Now, you could be right. You could have sensed that. But that doesn't mean you jump on it and discipline it because you can't. We we judge observable behavior. Okay? So we need to be careful about prophecies of correction. Don't let anyone's prophecy control your life. Um, The Apostle Paul um, got prophesied over by a prophet named Agabus. Agabus grabs the belt from around Paul's waist. He ties up his own wrists and he ties up his own feet. And he said, this is what's going to happen to the man who owns this belt. So the Apostle Paul was about to go onto a boat to another city. Everyone around said, see Paul, this is God saying, you're not supposed to go. And Paul said, no, 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 bonds and afflictions may await me, but I'm still going. God's just telling me what's going to happen. He didn't let the pressure of everyone else decide what that prophecy was for him. Don't let anybody try and, don't ever let a prophecy control your life. It is your life. Uh, I love prophecies. I will get them from anyone. I will get, look, let's be real. Every church has some of those interesting people, right? (laughs) I don't even care when one of the interesting people give me a prophecy. It's not like, oh, no, don't take me. I don't care because occasionally I've actually had one straight direct from God. But I never let anyone's prophecies control my life. It is my life. Amen. It's mine, not yours but I'm open to the fact that you, God, could be speaking through you, okay? Um, Next one is this, just because you have a prophecy doesn't mean you have to give it. The spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophets. That means you don't have to give it, even if you're feeling it. You don't have to. I love what my friend Peter Blas says. He says, just because you see a tree doesn't mean you've got to climb it, (coughs) right? And in the same way, if you have a prophecy, that's what it said. It said, let two or three give it. Anyone else, don't do it. Spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophets, I remember one time at our church DNA course and what we do is we interview new people and have a chat to them and, and this and we had a group of people come in and they wanted to know how we administrate spiritual gifts in a service and so this lady comes up to me and she says oh look you know just want to know you know spiritual gifts prophecy and that sort of thing what do you do and I said, yeah, that's fine. We love the prophetic in our church. So what we want you to do is this. Um, if you feel like you've got a prophecy, I want you to. we want you to come to the highest ranking person on the front row, not the person on the stage. So whether it's a senior pastor, campus pastor, assistant pastor, go to them and submit the prophecy. And then if we feel like we want it shared to the whole congregation, then we'll do it. She goes, oh, could be gone by then. <coughs> you know, it's like, Kind of like she's a kettle. Got a blow. No, no, no. The spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophets. If it's gone, it's probably a bird flying over your head. It may not be the Lord. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. <laughs> is this okay? <laughs> um, next one is this. Learn to discern whether what you feel is for you or for someone else. Sometimes God speaks to us. We think it's for someone else. It's actually for us. I would say so, I'll be be honest, in what I've seen, probably the majority of prophecies I see people give from the congregation on a Sunday for the church was for them. It was their morning devotions. And God was talking to them. I remember one time I saw, we we did this preaching class at Bible college and this young lady gets up, she goes, she started weeping and she said, I just have this thing and I just feel it's for you. I remember sitting there going, that's not for anyone else. That's for you, sweetheart. God's talking to you about that. And so we need to discern, is this for me or that's for you? I was talking to Ross yesterday and I said, as a preacher, I rarely preach something that's burning in my heart. Rarely. Because I, I, if it's burning in my heart, it's generally for me. And often if I preach something burning in my heart, it's half cooked. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't, but often if I preach something that I got down 10 years ago and forgot about and then I bring it out and preach it, it's normally fire. And I'm thinking, man, that was not for me. But often if it's something burning in me, massive revelation about all this stuff, generally I'm a few years away from preaching it. I've got a file on my computer about works in progress, messages I'm going to preach that God has given to me that were burning in my heart, revelations I'm getting, but it's not for everyone else right now. It's actually for me to bed down in my life. Amen. Uh, Next one is this. Um, Respect people's authority. Respect people's authority. The number one person God's going to speak to about a church is a senior pastor. End of story. That's the number one person. Oh, I feel God's saying as a church we need to do this. If you're the senior pastor and you think, no, I don't think it is, God's with you. Uh, when it, we've got to be careful when we prophesy over people's families. Yep. We've got to need to understand that that child belongs to someone else. That man belongs to someone else. And we need to understand we can't contravene the boundaries of uh, we need to respect other people's authority. Uh, As I said to you before, don't add to what God is saying. Proverbs 30 verse 6, do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Um, How should we treat prophecy? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 20, don't despise prophecies. I don't know about you, but I see my prophecies and promises from God like a garden. And every so often I'll go and look at them and some of them are ripe and ready to eat now, but some aren't. I actually overlook and see my prophecies. I've got a file, and I look at my prophecies from time to time. There's times I feel a burden just to get some of them out and start declaring them and start saying them, start listening to some of them. Don't despise them. I have had people give me prophecies that other people say I wouldn't receive it from them. Look, some they, they can't control my life. I'm a grown man. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to be open to God speaking to me through the prophetic gift through anybody. They cannot manipulate me. They cannot tell me what to do with it. But I'm open to hear from anyone I met. And, as, and if we're shepherds as well, we need to have that attitude as well that, you know, we're going to submit this to them. We're going to trust them that they're going to be able to hear from God about it. But it could be some of the greatest blessings you've ever experienced. Amen. And so what we're going to do right now is this. Awesome. We've got time. What we're going to do is we're actually gonna have a crack. And so what I want to do is I want to break you up into well you you can find the groups yourself. Groups of three. And the reason why I have I want why I want to have groups of three is because there's two people there listening as you know and that sort of thing. A witness, that's it. And so I want to have groups of three. Now stay with so for this exercise, if we can have men praying with men and ladies praying with ladies. Now if there's the odd group of four does I don't mind. I don't care. And I want you to pray for each other. Now, it's as simple as this. When I pray for people, the, uh, uh, every year I pray in my region, at the Brisbane West region of you know, the ACC, every year they do a service where I've got to pray and prophesy over everybody. And sometimes it's like 80, 90 people. And I remember one time, I was hoping people would fall over because if they fell over, then it makes me easier for me. I just move on to the next person. But this particular one, no one fell over. And honestly... I didn't have prophecies for anyone before I started. And I just put my hand on them. And then things just started, and I would just say it. And then I'd move on. And then I find out later on that for many of them, they said, man, that was right where we were at. I don't remember half of the things that I actually said. The point I'm saying is this. I didn't feel it before, but once we stepped out, put ourselves in a position for God to move. Bible says in Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I heard Frank Damasio preach on that once, and he actually said that phrase, by my spirit, it basically means like when you're at full stretch, that's when God moves. It's like a bow and arrow, an archer. When you're at full stretch, that's when God moves. How many people get healed by you praying for it in your head? Very few. But you have to go to them, ask to pray for them, lay your hands on them, and on the inside you're thinking, okay, Jesus, I need you to move right now. I have done everything that I can do, and that's when it happens. And it's the same with prophecy as well, that you can occasionally get a word for someone beforehand, but if you're praying for people, you just put your hand on them, on their shoulder, and then it's like, okay, Jesus, whatever you got. And from that, often that's when God moves. And so what we're going to do is going to give it a go. Keep it um, scriptural. um, Keep it in the realm of exhortation, comfort, encouragement. And don't try and overstep, you know, try and go beyond what you feel God is saying. And we'll just do that. And what's going to happen is I'm just going to wander around. And if I've got a word for somebody that's... getting Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.